Okay, are you ready for this? Yes, I am. <clears throat> Hi, welcome to 1001 Books, the podcast where we read the 1001 books that experts say you're supposed to read before you die and decide if they're really worth your time. I'm Nicole, a lover of Harry Potter and historical fiction. And I'm Chelsea, also a lover of Harry Potter and any book that's going to make me cry. Aww. So... As we, before we start talking about our book for this week, what have you been reading since we met last? Last night I just finished The Immortalist by Chloe Benjamin, which was like a big title for 2018. And I actually, I really, I liked it. I didn't love it, but I feel like it's in a genre that I really love, which is, which is like, I feel like not hard to define, hard or is hard to define, but it's like kind of like books that are ultimately about like how to get the most out of life you know but they're mm-hmm. fiction and that and that they uh like co- go through a family over time and so in this book four siblings in 1969 see a fortune teller who tells them the day they're gonna die and then they all come true Ooh. and then it's like starts with the youngest dying one and then it goes through them who's telling the story um and how that affects them and how it what they choices they make especially after the first one dies and they think that it's real you know um so so i thought it was really i thought it was good but it was pretty sad obviously what else what have you been reading um i have been reading the five people you meet in heaven by mitch album um old old school old school yeah yeah. (laughs) so i have this like i've been trying to make my tbr more manageable so what i've been doing each month because i'm ocd and I find great joy in this, is making a list of a book that starts with every letter of the alphabet. That's awesome. (laughs) And then I can only choose books from that list to read that month with the goal of maybe one day I could read 26 books in a month. That's a lot. I don't think that that'll ever actually happen, but it's kind of fun to make a list and then have like a narrowed down like, here are 26 mm. options. Okay. Um, And so that one was one of the ones that was on my TBR, and I really... I read it years and years and years ago, and I really, really liked it. And so I put it on there to reread. And I mean, it's good. It's not as good as I remember well, it being. Wait, so your TBR list is out of control, and you're reading books that you've already read before from it? I don't think that's helping. <laughs> I mean, it hasn't been marked as read on Goodreads because I read it pre-Goodreads. So does it count? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> if it's not on Goodreads, it didn't happen. Um, no, but so I really... Uh, I liked it a lot the second time around. It was good. It's short. It's a quick, quick, quick read. Um, But it wasn't as powerful as I thought it was the first time I read it. Though it did make me cry, which a book has not done in a long time. And you do love to cry. And I do love to cry. I think it's so cathartic. So when I can't find books that'll make me cry, (laughs) how else am I supposed to get that release? I don't know. Just like have bad things happen in real life. I don't know. (laughs) have an existential crisis <laughs> yeah that's not as fun no it is not it's not <laughs> uh, okay well so let's see the book we're reading this week book 22 is called the tin flute and it's by gabrielle roy and it was originally published in 1947 in french she's french canadian the book set in french canada yeah um, and it was translated into English pretty quick after, I think, in the 60s. So it's yeah. not, it's yeah. been in English for a long time as well. Yes. Yeah. Um. So as we were reading this book, what is the one word you would have used to describe it? So I'm going to go with the depression, like capital D depression, like era, not state of mind. And I went with poverty. 
very similar. So, um, <laughs> similar line kind of gives you a hint as we move into our quick plot as to what was going on in this novel. Okay, so this is the summary of this novel in one sentence. Uh, Florentine and her family struggle to stay afloat in pre-World War II Montreal. Yes, so right now is your chance at a spoiler alert if you want to listen Read this book, not listen to this book. Um, read could listen this. to it on audiobook. True. <laughs> if you wanted to read this book without any spoilers, you should stop right now and um, come back at our cut where we stop the spoilers in this episode and talk about our fun topic. So, okay. spoiler alert. All right. So, The Tin Flute. So, this book, I feel like I, I bought the Let's start out. The copy I bought of it was beautiful. I got it used because we had more time to wait for it to come. And so it's like a beautiful purple cloth bound book. And when it came in the mail, it still had the original paper cover over the cloth bound part, but it was all torn up. So I threw it out. So it's really old and it smells amazing. Old smells smell. so good. <laughs> um, but I was excited for this one because um, it felt like we've been reading. Um, this is a translation too, obviously, but it's a little from a little bit closer to home. <laughs> So I was like, oh, this one's going to be an e- just practically an easier read to get through because the language will be easier. And it was. I and thought it was, it was a yeah. pretty easy read. So yeah. essentially in this novel, um, it follows a young girl, Florentine, and her mother, Rosanna, very closely. Mm-hmm. Um, and they are living in what amounts to like the tenement area of... Uh, Montreal, Montreal, Canada, in right before, right at the start of World War II, so right before the first batch of Canadian soldiers joins the war. Right. So, like, the UK is at war, so Canada is at war, mm-hmm. and there are people, like, people are joining the military, but they're still, like, mostly in training camp, and the first troop transports haven't, yes. like, are just starting to leave. And so it's right before the first transport gets sent out, and it just follows kind of the struggles of these two women, um, especially in like relation to their poverty in this town and how their poverty really plays an impact on their actions and their decisions um, and how the poverty really impacts the people around them and kind of like a ripple effect. Right. So like the mom, Rosanna, is like has all these kids and she's just like a workhorse. She's, you know, trying to get by. And the dad has, you know, been it's been the depression. He's like been frequently out of work. Mm -hmm. They've been on relief, like welfare. And he's he's good natured, but he's really kind of just a dreamer who doesn't really know how to settle. So she's kind of had to become practical and only think about like who needs new shoes and kind of given up a part of herself that Mm -hmm. used to dream for something better. And then her daughter, who's like, what, like 17, 18 or 19, yeah, um, is working and giving her pay to the family, but she really resents it. And, mm-hmm. um, and she's just, like, desperate to meet a man that will help her get out of this life this, and to not live her mother's life over again, basically. Yeah. She also, um, she has two love interests in this novel. And one, I think she sees as representing, like, the freedom of the situation. Um, and then the other, she kind of doesn't want to go with because she sees it as kind of being stuck. Right. Well, one like. of them, I feel like one of them is like her like first love, like mm-hmm. create like unconventional. He's, he's not really a good person or good for her, but she's in love with him. And then yeah. the other one is the one who would be the like practical, responsible choice who actually cares about her and isn't yeah. like, and isn't the other guy doesn't care about her at all. No, mm-hmm. he gives no. But of course, that's the one that she loves. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So um, overall, this book was a really easy read. Yes. Um, it was a nice break from kind of the books we've been reading lately. Yes. Um, I.e. Uh, 
Titus grown in the growing gas. Yeah. It was, it was a lovely break from that. I really appreciated how um, easy it was to read. I really appreciated that um, if the setting isn't exactly familiar, it felt familiar. Yeah. I mean, it felt like a tree grows in Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. It, you know, it just felt like other books about poverty. It reminded me a lot of like call the midwife. Yeah. Poverty in that era. The, um, the thing I really loved about this book is that it talked a lot about like, so we're in this community that has just been really struggling for like 10 plus years during the depression. And all these young men have come to adulthood and they just never been able to get work, you know, and now the war is starting and war industries are starting to pump up and people can get work Mm -hmm. or they can join the military to get to and then suddenly they're just making more money than they've ever possibly could have thought in their lives and and it really made me think about how the fact that the depression was right before world war ii really paid a big reason on why we had world war ii in the first place um partly because people were like downtrodden and struggling and angry about Mm -hmm. that in their various countries in their various ways you know and two is that there was all these people willing to like feed their lives into this war machine not I mean, some because they believed in what, whatever cause on whatever side they were on, but also just because they were desperate. They were so desperate. And the only yeah. way, and the depression really only ended because of World War II, right? Because suddenly there was all this industry. And I never, I never seen a book say that as well as this book says it. And it really makes you question um, what, like, wars need poor people. The mm-hmm. military needs poor people to be desperate to, to list their life yes. to get ahead because if, if that's their only chance to get ahead you'll take it most people um, and and like are we wouldn't ha- be able to have wars if everybody was well off so like poverty serves a function in capitalism you know mm-hmm. and I think this book shows that really well yeah I also thought it was interesting that it um, took kind of a look at how like depression era the joblessness really um Especially back then for the men. Right. Because women weren't really doing much outside of being able to do, like, waitressing or teacher kind Washing of jobs. Laundry, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, especially for the men, it took away a lot of sense of self. Because yeah. up to that point, your sense of self had kind of been derived off of being able to hold provide, down your job yeah. and provide for your family. And so something interesting that it showed was that a lot of these men were joining up to regain their manhood in a sense yes, because yeah. they felt that they had lost it by not having a job. So um, Florentine's father, Rosanna's husband, um, at the very end of the novel, rejoin joins the army or whatever it's called. Um, yeah, the royal whatever. Yeah. yeah. Um, to go over because he knows that it's going to give $96 a month to the family and they can live off of that. Yeah. And then it's like for the last, 20 pages of the novel he finally has like a new spring in his step because he feels like he's found a purpose and a way to provide from them again Um, whereas before while he was never mean he was just kind of meandering and so I thought that that was a really interesting look at how how it doesn't just strip away stability for a family it also strips away like sense of self sometimes totally yeah and it made like the oh I just lost my train of thought it made me think about how um if like maybe think about how like like the feminist like view of this book would be mm-hmm. that like the patriarchy hurts men and women because that 
extreme pressure to provide and that you're only a worthwhile man if you have provided that's mm-hmm. bad for men too yeah. you know it's bad for men that women couldn't also help with the providing to support the family you know yeah, it's I like put extra having pressure those, that wasn't necessary yeah, having those separate roles which I feel like that I've noticed that in a lot of these books that we've read for the podcast yeah I um, also thought um something really interesting in this novel was um the daughter Florentine, I don't think she's a particularly likable character. No, she's not likable. Um, she's so dumb. <laughs> she's really dumb. She's really young. Um, and she just thinks that, like, because she works at the Five and Dime and someone's nice to her when they get food, that she's, like, in love with them and going to marry them. It's, yes. it's, like, so dumb. <laughs> and so she has this infatuation with Jean and really um, wants to be with him and sees the future and ends up having sex with him and getting pregnant. Yeah. Um, whereas Jean... She sees him as her ticket out, and he sees her as being trapped in the life and he holding wants him to back. Escape. Yeah, which he's not particularly likable either. No. After they have sex, he walks away and immediately is like, "Thank God I never have to see this girl again. I don't yeah. have to think about the consequences of our actions." And then he leaves town. He's horrible. <laughs> he is not great, but she's not great either because no. she's totally trying to um, find stability <laughs> yeah. through a man, and then in her character arc. Then Emmanuel, her second love interest, comes back and she already knows she's pregnant with Jean's baby. He's about to be deployed, so she tricks him into a war wedding so that her baby and her can have a sense of support um, from him because he's a really good guy. And I thought it was very interesting because while it was a really, like, hated her, um, you could see how all three of those characters got to those places. Right. I couldn't really, I didn't like her for being so stupid about Jean, the first guy, but I couldn't really blame her for tricking Emmanuel Mm -hmm. into getting married because she didn't have any other options. That was literally the only option to not become like hated by society and destitute was to find someone to marry her and hide the fact that she was already pregnant. And I think that that's what I would have done in that situation. Yeah. (laughs) You know? Well, and like, and I, I hate, I don't, didn't like Jean and because of what he did but at the same time i couldn't hate him either because he was trying to escape what he was into so like oh, yeah. all the characters that were unlikable in this novel um were unlikable for reasons that were understandable which i yeah. really appreciated in a novel. yeah they were yeah they weren't just it was it was part of the story it wasn't just on the side for mm-hmm. no reason like yeah. um Florentine has a brother in the story too who makes a really terrible choice and steals money from their family and then you like basically never see him again. Oh yeah. But um even his little sideline which he's not really in anything is like is explained that like he feels really ashamed because he um is now in the army and so people expect him to be able to like buy his own things and do this yeah. but he doesn't have the money to do it so then he ends up taking the money to be impressive for his friends and his girl but he's a 17 year old boy yeah which so is, that's, like, what, that's what you're like when you're 17 that's what everybody's like I did I really appreciated who, how all the unlikable characters were still very human characters yes. yeah and I thought that some of the themes because really that's about like how poverty affects people and how in their development as, pe- as human beings mm-hmm. and I think a lot of those things still stand true that like growing up in extreme poverty even though it looks a lot different than this now you know I think it still has these kind of effects on you where um where like this I'm like reaching a little bit but like we're even like a little bit you know you have a little bit of money and but you get that money and you might not spend it in the most wise way but because it's just like finally you can get something nice like uh-huh. when the family in here like they waste some money to go on a trip to the countryside but it's just like 
oh, like, let's do it, you know? Like, and I feel like that's what you do when you're really broke is that, you know, when you get some money, you might not be the most responsible with it. And, and how it, like, causes families to, like, not always be really healthy, you know? Mm-hmm. And how it, like, how Florentine is, like, looking for a man to save her. I feel like all those things, like, are very real in our world today, just, like, slightly altered. Yeah, no, I really, I thought that that was very... Um, intriguing in this novel, the way they were able to present that in a way that was very, or she was able to present it in a way that was very believable. I also thought it was interesting how um, I appreciate that this was a book that was written 60 years ago, 60 years ago. Um, And it had 70. It had two very well-developed female characters as the leads of the novel. Um, So I really liked that it was... Women writers, man. You got to read women writers to find good women characters. But I just thought it was nice that it was two well-developed women characters about... um, And they weren't tropes and they were different from each other. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of times you get that in nonfiction narratives about this time era... Or you'll yeah. occasionally get it with the woman being like the side character will be developed, developed. But like this, the whole novel was about these two women. Yeah. Um, and they were intentionally the main characters and they were intentionally well developed, which I really liked. Yeah. And kind of about how like mothers and daughters mm-hmm. are like more similar than they'd like to admit, but also don't understand each other. Yeah. <laughs> you know, which I think is, it's true. It's you know? a universal truth. Yes. Love you, mom. <laughs> yeah. Love you, mom. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks for listening. <laughs> so, yeah, I really, um, I liked this novel a lot for that. I also, um, one thing that we thought would be interesting to talk about was the title of this novel. Oh, yeah. So this novel is called The Tin Flute, um, and it's based off of two specific scenes in the novel that revolve around this toy flute that the youngest son um, in the novel really wants. He wants a tin flute, and there's one scene where the mom is standing and debating over whether she should buy this flute for her child who's been like asking for it for forever and he's a really sickly little boy um or whether she should buy food for the family like how do you make that decision um and she chooses the food and doesn't buy him the flute and the daughter's watching on and just feels this sense of disgust like i can't help her i can't save us kind of feeling um Right, and then later that little boy is in the hospital because he has can't he has leukemia, mm-hmm. and but the family doesn't. The doctor told them that they had leukemia, but not even that it was fatal because it was definitely yeah. fatal in the forties, you know, a hundred percent of the time, and and so they don't know that he's really dying. And uh, but then his nurse, he like has a nurse that he loves who gives him the tin flute, and he's immediately like, oh, this tin flute I've always wanted, um, but now that I have it, I don't even know what to do with it. It's useless. It's just sitting there so among it's the toys. Kind of a metaphor of like. That's, I don't know, the thing we always want isn't actually a thing we need or, mm-hmm. or something, something along those lines. I also want to say that, just to clarify from before, I don't think that people who are poor aren't good with money and that's why they're poor. Oh, I, no, I didn't no, need no, to no, say no. that. Yeah. <laughs> I just like, in general, I think it, it makes you have a weird relationship with money if you grow, yeah. if you grow up poor, right? It changes how you think about money. Yeah, no. Yeah. Mm. We didn't intend it that no. way. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah, so the tin flute, it, it felt like, it. yeah, it's kind of a metaphor for um kind of those hard decisions how sometimes even when you make the decision for a want versus a need then you can't really do anything with that want and it doesn't really provide you what you thought it was going to provide you right and so it's like we're always reaching for the things that aren't actually the most helpful for us Mm -hmm. um because it's hard to see your own situation clearly which is kind of continually shown in all the characters in the novel as well 
Yeah. Um, but then we noticed that when it was originally published in French, it had a completely different title, um, which would be translated as Secondhand Happiness, which I think is a way better title for this yeah, book. Yeah, I really I like really that title. title as well, too. I mean, I liked the Tim Flute title, but... The Tim um, Flute title was good because it was like kind of fun to find those moments in the narrative, but the I think Secondhand Happiness is a good sum. Like, we could have used that in our one-word description. Like we should have. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so the other... The original title was also Secondhand Happiness, and on the note of the child having leukemia, it made me look up leukemia... Um, the youngest brother having leukemia back from the tin flute. Uh, it made me look up leukemia and the first leukemia treatments were discovered in 1947. So it's interesting. Oh, because right this, around this time. This time was right when they started being able to treat it. And in yeah. this novel, she kind of talks about how they were giving him blood infusions and all this stuff. Um, and it's when they first started discovering things that could hmm. treat leukemia. Interesting. Because leukemia was actually officially discovered in the 1887s. In the 1887s. Oh, all those years, 1887? In the 1880s. I think it was 1887. Yeah. Um, yeah. By a man, huh. and they just didn't know what to do with it. They knew what it was. They knew it was a problem with leukeodides, yeah. something like that. Science, whatever. In your blood <laughs> that they could identify, but they had yeah. no clue how to fix it. Huh. I definitely, this book hit that plot line. I was like, oh, yeah, because now I, like, obviously know that kids get cancer sometimes. But the but I when I when I think back to times before cancer had any treatments or whatever, mm-hmm. I don't I never really thought about that. Kids were still getting it then too. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, oh it yeah. Just... Kids would get it and it would there'd be no hope at all, which is it was no hope for anybody, but it felt like that's even worse, you know? Yeah, I just, it was just like um, a wasting disease. It was one of yeah, the wasting just like, diseases. Yeah, that's why when you look at, like, causes of death from the past, it's always just, like, wasting disease or a fever, and it's so vague because we just didn't have the mm-hmm. knowledge, you know? Humanity didn't have the knowledge, but... Or I, I read a book once where a character died of sugar sickness, diabetes, oh, before there was any, they any treatment have, for yeah. diabetes. That was just, like, there's a killer, you know? Yeah, so that crazy. was really interesting. I, I went on a little, like... Wikipedia rabbit hole. These books do cause that. They cause a lot of Wikipedia. The only, I feel like I end up searching something on Wikipedia for every one of the books we read for the podcast. And before that, I feel like I would only really search Wikipedia for books that are about like European royalty, like Mm -hmm. Philippa Gregory's books. Then I'm always just like, where are we in the timeline? I'm like, I'm like reading those articles over and over because I'm so into that kind of shit. But the, um, these books, it's like a little bit more productive than that probably or like more useful knowledge (laughs) no I think that that's interesting I also thought something um historically interesting that I don't think about is um Canada and its relationship with France and the French language yeah there was a great passage in here when France um Germany invaded they were like first Germany had they'd gone into Poland but not into France and then the story goes on and then they get past the what is it the mag mag Magdanot. Magdanot line mm-hmm. or whatever. And they and they get and they take and France surrenders. And all these French Canadians in the book are just like really heartbroken about that because they even though France has like Canada has been a part of the, you know, cancer to the UK and the Commonwealth for like a long 100 years at that point or whatever or something like that, that they um, they still feel this just like strong sense of identity with France and that mm-hmm. these people they speak French all the time and, and it seems like they're not even fluent in English at this time. I feel like now French Canadians just speak both languages even if they, they choose, they speak French mainly uh-huh. but they can speak English fluently but these are people who are really poor and they don't go to school or anything yeah, to get and they that. Didn't have and, they any. Just, yeah. and it was interesting because something that was a point in this novel as you were going along was when a character would speak English. It, it was, was always noted. Yeah. yeah, of like them having moved above their like 
quote-unquote station, station in life or like um the son daniel in the uh, hospital his nurse spoke english and so it was extra hurtful to the mother when daniel fell in love with his nurse like the child right. was like a because like really se- separate from her yeah, yeah it was separate from her in a special way and like the soldiers who are coming back or when you see them again will say phrases in english um yeah. And that's what they've learned from being so worldly. So it was interesting because it was clear that um, that kind of fight between roots versus what your um, country's current, like, Yeah, and a lot is. more people enlisted when France was invaded because yeah. they felt that loyalty to France. And so I wonder if today French Canadians, um, how much they identify with their French heritage. Because, I mean, obviously they still identify with it because they – they speak, speak French. French. They speak the language, and and I feel like in France in particular, um, I don't remember where I learned this, but in French, you know, like when new words come up, like words about computers or whatever. Uh-huh. In other countries, usually other languages besides English, if the term was invented in English, that it's just a cognate. So you know, computadora. Right, exactly. But in French, there's like an institute that makes a French word, and it's always totally different than the English that's version because it's like that's an important part of their culture. Interesting. Which makes sense. And so I wonder today how much French Canadians like identify with that. With being you know? French and having that language. Because it's cool. Know. It's cool how Canada has two official languages. And maybe they have other ones like like First Nations languages. I don't know. But they have like, I feel like that like whatever unity that they have, I don't, you know, I feel like it's pretty impressive. Yeah. You know, it would have been hard to do. <laughs> like hard to have that. Yeah. No, uh, Canada definitely I feel like is an example of like two countries meshing in a like healthier way healthier way yeah (laughs) at least it seems like from the our perspective i mean i'm sure there was tension and struggle but it's like they embraced the french and the and rather than just being like we're only teaching english in schools here you know you have your kids have to learn then it's gone in a generation or Mm -hmm. do that yeah so um this book i is interesting i was i was thinking this week after i finished it if i would want to put it on the list Uh um because I would say this is a book that I liked. I enjoyed reading it. It was right in my wheelhouse for the kinds of books that I mm-hmm. like. It smelled amazing when I was reading it. But I don't know if it's a book you should have to read before you die. Because it's good. But it's a good book. But just as, as we put books on the list that we don't really like, they're not to our taste, but we think they're important. Mm-hmm. This, I feel like, might be the opposite. It's to my taste, but I don't know how important it is. See, and I I was thinking about it too. And something that I was thinking on is that what I think this book for me represents is a good portrayal of, um, what is the word? And poverty. Mm-hmm. I was saying poorness, poorness over and over my head <laughs> as if that was the word. Poverty and how poverty kind of infects and affects all aspects of family life. But is this the representation of that that is necessary for being on the list and I'm just not sure and I think part of my struggle with this lies in that I felt like a tree grows in Brooklyn is a really good representation of poverty and I have some really strong feelings about that book <laughs> yes. because it's on my it's on my personal like list of top books I love um and so I'm not sure if this is or even if a tree grows in Brooklyn is like the best look at this kind of poverty poverty. which Um, really is like north american white poverty i would say this also is relatable to like english great like great britain's poverty as well which there's 
books about like tenements and stuff in Great Britain as well. Yeah. So like white I don't know how to put that as a like that is like a very that era of immigration I feel yeah like that's a very common like it's not an ethnic group but like Great Britain Canada and US in that time period I feel like have a lot of similarities even where they have differences yeah um so yeah I'm just not sure if it's the best representation there is I liked it though I liked it a lot it was fun to read it was so nice to read something that was more in our wheelhouse not that challenging ourselves isn't great but like every once in a while I just want something that yeah like, I mean y'all want to everyone wants to comfort read sometimes yeah. like, and this definitely like was, when you read books about princesses yeah no and I mean like yeah. <laughs> this wasn't a princess book but it was like it was just a nice nice yeah you read, read. books about princesses I'll read books about time travel and we'll feel good um, yeah so this is yeah this is definitely one I don't know how I'm gonna vote and but whichever way we vote I feel like when we get to the book 40 and we're reviewing these this is one that either way I feel like I might want to change my vote because it's going to depend on how much I think about it over the next few months or how much it shapes how I think about the upcoming books whatever they may be yeah I think that this is definitely one that it's like I don't I don't have a clear-cut opinion yet and I might not for a while yeah yeah it kind of has to be how how it simmers Mm -hmm. how it simmers yeah all right all right I guess we oh the last thing I was gonna say about this book is that I think it's really cool that it's a book about the start of World War II that was written in 1947 it's so quick it's kind of like if this is a man Mm -hmm. that it's like it feels more real because it's it's a it's not a reflection it feels more own voices when things are written by people right after they happen yeah and I just love the idea of like you're also writing this to process your own experiences Mm -hmm. and I really like that I think it makes it have more power a lot of times Okay, okay. I guess Does it's time it? to vote. Oh, I don't know what I'm going to say. Know. Okay. Okay, ready? Does it belong on the list? One, two, three. No. no. A reluctant no. A reluctant no from us both. So I like a no, but maybe. <laughs> I will definitely change this to a yes in episode 40 when we review the, 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 our list thus far. Um, if I have thought about it more mm-hmm. since then. Um but and I, if it's yeah. impacted the way I think about other books. Yes. Yeah, that's yeah, that's something that a reason that the book sh- a book should be on the list that you just can't tell right away. Mm-hmm. So I feel like every 20 books we're going to review all the books that have come before it, at least until it becomes unmanageable. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, and because even when we did in episode 20, when we reviewed the first 20, I felt like the last five, 15 through 20, it was too soon. Yeah. It was too soon to decide if my opinion had Maybe changed. Maybe every 20 books we should review... Yeah, I don't know how we're going to do that as we get further into the list. Like, maybe when we get it to 100, we reset or something. Yeah, that's fair. Or just, like, yeah, we only go back to, like, if we want, when we do it on book 120, we only look back to book 80 mm-hmm. or something, like, the last few. We'll have to see as we yeah. move forward. Yeah, cause, because right now our list is is about half the length of the – it's, like, half about half the books that we've read. Mm-hmm. So, it's – I mean, I feel like our list – when we read a thousand, it could be five hundred or which more. would be a lot. Yeah, yeah. It would be a lot. Then I feel like I feel like every like also when we did twenty books, we're like, well, what are your top three? And then we should keep that going. What are your top three from all the books that we've read all the way through? Oh, and see that'd it, be interesting. Yeah, what 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 bumps off the ones we've read so far or whatever? Yeah. What's out there? That'd be fun. That'll be a fun game. And then we can make our per- episode a thousand and one. We can make our like personal top ten lists. 
out of all of that, all the ones that we put on the list. Be so you good. know, 30 years from now. <laughs> yeah, so you have that to look forward to. When actually, future listener, when you're reading, listening to this in 2032. <laughs> um, skip ahead and you'll see our skip ahead and we'll all totally, time. You can pick yeah. and choose. You can cherry pick the episodes from our favorite ones of all time. Yeah, it's a great plan. So hello from the past. <laughs> Yay! Uh, okay, so we thought for our last little segment here, we could talk about um, a great um, question about books and what our opinions are. So the question is, Chelsea, do you prefer character or plot-driven novels? And I had such a strong answer when we first started, but now <laughs> I feel concerned about my answer. I think I prefer plot-driven novels, but they do need to have character development. Definitely. So yeah. I have to have plot um, in order to be able to really like fully accept the novel fully like have a like get something from it but I also don't want stagnant characters that are just like not growing so yeah so I I like plot driven novels that have character development within them but that the character development isn't just like without any plot yeah I I agree I feel like I like I would always pick plot driven novels because I feel like books that are about like kind of just like a character in their mind over and over again, mm-hmm. like for the podcasting, for example, the sea, just yeah. kind of just about this character. I get bored with those, yeah. and I get frustrated that there's no resolve because mm-hmm. there's no resolved kind of. And this is true in life: your own like things that you think about over and over again. There's not really a resolve. You just kind of carry that through you through life. But I don't like reading about. But that. I don't want to read about it because it's depressing, and I don't mm-hmm. like the way that's the way it is in real life. And yeah. So, so I like plot driven novels, but it can't be just plot. It can't just be a like a dime store sci-fi novel with no where I'm not invested in the characters. Mm-hmm. I like real like I really don't like that either. So it has to be a novel that has plot. But like I said in the beginning, really my favorite books are ultimately about like trying to make your life one that's worth living and mm-hmm. what however you define that. And like whether that's you know, like what that could be a lot to me, a lot of different things yeah. for that character. But I want, but I really love a book that ends with like a great, a few great philosophical statements where the characters really had a catharsis about, mm-hmm. yeah, they're making the choices they make because it's making their life meaningful. I'm always attracted to that, and so that to me, that's the perfect combination of plot and character development. I will cut out that yawn. <laughs> <laughs> I also am, yeah, I exactly the same kind of opinion. I really like it when our characters develop and grow, but I I feel like I've been pretty clear about this as we've talked to books in the list. I don't like it when that growth isn't driven by a plot. Like right. I need there to be a reason why they're growing and changing and some kind of problem and resolution, some sort of That just arc. makes it readable. It yeah. makes it readable. And yeah. it makes it more more real. I don't think that people very often change in stagnation right by like having these in-depth series of thoughts all through yeah. like introspection only goes so far yeah, yeah. and mm. um i think a lot of times when people write that they're writing that introspective kind of narrative based off of experiences they've had in their life and i rather would have would have rather read about their experiences that led them to that so that i could get there on my own rather than reading a like black page of their so a black page my um i had a philosophy teacher interestingly enough in college who made us write black page essays where it was all supposed to be like basically like theoretical like introspective writing but it was 
not supposed to have has supposed to have like 0.3 margins like the smallest you can oh, get within yeah. a printer on either side you weren't supposed to do indentations you weren't supposed to do um if you had a paragraph you weren't supposed to indent after or do an extra space it was supposed to be like a black page of text yeah. um and I don't want to read someone's black page of text of all the time they spent simmering in their brain. I'd rather read about how they got there. Right. It's kind of like, show me, don't tell me. Yeah. Right? Show me why they had, why they grew like this. Yeah. Cause I feel like that's more relatable for sure. And I think some people really love that like philosophical internal stuff because, but they're all, I like those people are the kind of people who actually like to read philosophy. Yeah. Which isn't very many people. Though it is, I feel like a good percentage of people who are readers are like that. So there is a market for that, mm-hmm. you know, but we definitely aren't those kind of readers. Well, and I think it's interesting too, like you said the show me, not tell me. And I think that that kind of relates to how people most of the time learn. Like most people as learners, as a teacher, they learn by you showing them and then you having them try it and then they do it on their own. They don't learn from you just talking at them. Right. And so I just don't derive as much from books when someone's just telling me. Yeah. Um, and so some people as learners do learn that way and that's great for them. But I feel like for me personally, that doesn't give me anything to really go off of in a text and I can't, yeah. I can't relate to it in the way I would as if it was kind of showing me how a person got yeah. there. Can you think of a book that's like the perfect example of that? Mm-hmm. Of like show me, not tell me? Yeah, of, of the kind of book that you like that is plot driven. Ooh, mm-hmm. that is plot driven but has characters. Oh, yeah, let me think. Um, yeah, I was trying to think. You know, yeah. I think a good example of this is one of our only books from school that I really love, like To Kill a Mockingbird. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a good example of a show me, not a tell me. Yeah, I'm really, I was thinking about To Kill a Mockingbird this week, actually, for some reason, because it's, it's on the list, and mm-hmm. I'm really curious about when we draw it, because I haven't read it since high school. I haven't and, read it since high school either, so I don't I know. And I liked it, actually. and I always list it as like, oh, it's in my top 10 or whatever, I like it. But now, I, oh, I know why I was thinking about it, because I read an article about To Kill a Mockingbird and about how it perpetuates the myth of a, having a white savior. Oh. And I was like, oh, shoot, if I read To Kill a Mockingbird now... Would I, would I think that the conception of racism in it is bad, not good? Because it definitely, Atticus Finch is a, is yeah. a, is a white savior. I, I interest, I'm interested in So I'm really, though. yes, I'm curious when we get to, when we get around to, re- I'm not going to read it before it comes up on the list, so it could be a while, but I'm really curious to how I react to it now. I wonder if it would bug me though, because I don't know if in the sixties, like our, our race rela- relations were far enough where like I still think people of color in the 60s would have d- didn't like the idea of, having, of a white savior no no, no 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 I know but where like and that's not what I'm trying to say I'm trying oh, to okay, say sorry. like um I wonder if what like we do sometimes with the books we're reading if looking at it through the lens of the time it was written oh. if I'll still think that it was a good novel because it represented something in that era yeah that's yeah, what i was trying that's to true. say yeah uh, it's hard to say yeah, yeah like, I, so i'm curious but when we get to that so one. i'm wondering yeah when we get to it what we'll feel if like we've read books other books from that time or other books if we'll feel the same yeah yeah because i feel like to Kill a mockingbird is like slowly being dropped from mm-hmm. like high, high school requirements you know partly because of that because, because, of that. because the book you read about race in high school should be by a person of color not a white woman it definitely should yeah which is true um, but it doesn't mean that to Kill a mockingbird doesn't have anything to offer to make it a book reading before you yeah. you should read before you die um, so <laughs> what's one from our list i'm trying to think if there's any from our list that i think we're show me not a tell me um alias grace alias grace yeah, yeah. 
even Hadrian the Seventh, which I feel like out of all the, the books that I've liked on the list, that one is the most in his head, and where because he doesn't grow, but that's kind of the point. Mm-hmm. And so I still feel like that one was a tell me because he, you know, he makes all these edicts as Pope that represent his values. Uh-huh. That that one I st- that one is like the closest to the line of being crossing yeah. over to where I wouldn't like it uh, for me, where I still liked it. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, we've read some interesting books. Yeah, there. It's a really random sample of uh, books that are of the top 1001 to read yes Uh, i'm pretty excited as we go on to see what happens yeah should we draw our book for next time yes let's do it our book for next time is called indigo so there's a funny story behind this, you guys. <laughs> That's why I said it so funny. Uh, so a few, like we always um, pick the books a few weeks before we are like our before this point when we're announcing what the next movie because we have to have time to read them, right? Uh, and so I have the jar of book names at my house, and I always draw them, and then I like send Chelsea like a video message or a text or whatever, like this is the next book, order it. But we don't we don't look up what it's about, right? Mm-hmm. We just, yeah, we just we just the title and and. Uh, and so when I video messaged Chelsea about this, repeatedly I said, um, Indigo. Indigo. And I did not hear it at all that this is in fact a word I know, Indigo, <laughs> until Chelsea messaged me back and she's just cracking up like on the floor laughing. I think you mean Indigo. And now I could not say it without thinking about it. And it was so funny. I, I like oh, fell to the floor in hysterics. And my so, fiance indigo. and I have literally walked around and been like, Indigo. <laughs> so yeah, I'm great that you have that memory. That's not embarrassing. Uh, <laughs> it's a really funny one. But though. I think my guess for what indigo is about i feel like indigo makes me think of like slavery mm-hmm. <laughs> and the south and that's one of the slave crops indigo and so i think that's what it's about <laughs> yeah i think i bet that's that is what it's about um i also was thinking maybe that it um might be looking um or what i'm hoping it'll be because we haven't had one of those it, these yet is one that's um Kind of in the present and in the past, like looking forward oh, and looking back. Oh, I love back. books like that. I love there haven't been any books, books like that. that. We list. haven't had any books like that, and I don't know why. That's the one of name, my favorite things. The yeah. name Indigo makes me think that it might be like that. Because are you thinking does. of that book Kindred? I am. Where that she's going back and forth. I am thinking of Kindred. I'm hoping it's like Kindred. Yeah, <laughs> Kindred's a great book. That's a book I could pitch to be on the list. Yeah, <laughs> maybe I like we'll do Kindred that in a future segment. Yeah. So, all right, we will be next. We will be next with you next week. We will be Be back back. (laughs) with you next week to talk about Indigo. And until then, you can follow us on our social media. At 1001BooksPod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And at 1001BooksPodcast on Libby, or Litzy. Libby's a different book app. (laughs) And at gmail.com if you would like to email us at 1001BooksPodcast. And until then, we hope you have a great time reading. So, happy happy reading. reading! Thank you.